0: We're not going to be in one particular text, but in 1 Timothy 3 is a good landing spot to have open in your uh, in your Bible this morning. If you don't know me, my name is uh, Dave Herring. I'm one of the pastors at Cornerstone Church in Plastow, New Hampshire. And uh, some of you may know me. I have a relationship with First Baptist, and I was one of the pastors here and was uh, part of Haverhill Community Church uh, for a number of years. And as we merged with First Baptist, became one of the pastoral a team here. And in uh, 2014, the Lord called me over to Plastow, New Hampshire, way over yonder, way over the border, way in the, in the country of New Hampshire. And um, I've been there uh, uh, serving Cornerstone Church as, uh, as the lead pastor there. Uh, our gracious Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your great love. It's the reason we're here. Your gracious love has overflowed so much so that you became one of us. You took on skin. You, have a, you had a human body, and you have a human body right now. And you came to look at us and be with us from a point of view perspective, eyeball to eyeball with us. And you loved us to the degree that you didn't want to see us destroying ourselves and corroding from within in our spiritual turmoil and judgment that we deserve you came to suffer in our place you came to be sin and be judged for sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in you and we pray that you would lift our hearts through the gospel this morning as we consider leadership and we consider the kind of church culture that leadership allows us to have a gospel culture And so we pray, Father, further that as we um, brood over the word and and stir the word in in, in our midst this morning. Use it to those ends. And we pray that you might even be stirring up the next generation of the next wave of leaders in our midst. And we pray that through Christ and for his glory. And all God's people said, amen. So I've been told that the clocks are shut off. Uh, the batteries have been taken out, and so um, don't worry. <laughs> um, but we do have communion. I was told that we have to tend to. But um, I've been I've been in church leadership now for uh, over 20 years. When I was 17, uh, just turning 18, uh, the Lord called me to ministry. Uh, I was reading a book uh, just shortly after I graduated from high school, and this book was uh, called "How on Earth Can I Be Spiritual." It's a good title. I like that title, um, and it's uh, it's a book that really explores spiritual gifts and the kinds of gifts that God gives each one of us in Christ uh, to serve in His kingdom. And I, as I'm mining through this book and looking at these spiritual gifts, the question for me was, okay, what do I have as a spiritual gift? Now. I, had, I was 17, just graduated from high school, and I lived like a pagan when I was in high school, right? And what, by that, mean I partied a lot, did a lot of drugs, did a lot of uh, misbehaving worldly deeds, as they say, and um, I was just recovering from that. The Lord had just finally got a hold of my, my life in, 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 a, in a new and unusual way, and I was wondering where could I possibly, what, what, how could the Lord possibly use me? And in deep meditation in the scriptures and deep prayer and then in counsel with my pastors and, and the leaders and my parents, uh, there's this call that maybe, maybe this, this bent towards study that you have and this, this kind of new um, vision that you have of your life in Christ, maybe this is a calling to ministry. And so from that point on, I went through a process. Uh, a long process, <laughs> um, a process that led me down the road of the next 11 years of multiple internships, of going to college and, 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 and studying biblical languages and theology and, and church history and all sorts of different stuff. It led me down a path of, of going overseas and doing missions work in India and, uh, and studying abroad in, in Israel. Um, it also led me to come back home. I was in California when I was in college. I came back home because I really got a sense that I, God was calling me here to New England. So I went to the best seminary I knew in our area, which is, you know, I think is Gordon Conwell, um, and and went to graduate school there and. And you know, what's well, you know, it's funny. I went more into debt in seminary than college. I'm just going to point that out there. Um, but but all all of these things um, that I encountered with you e- e- college, grad school, travel, all these different things in there. Did three internships in multiple churches, and experienced ups and downs, my own failures, my own. Um, uh, uh, you know, immaturities as well as the failings and immaturities of the churches that I was in because we can't escape them. Um, and in all my years, um, what's captured me has been a vision for the church and a gospel culture that changes the world. And we're a part of that as being part of the body of Christ. And that's what this whole entire series is about. It's about what does it mean to be members of one body, and this week, um, as we're talking about um, leadership in the church, um, what's struck me in, in, in the years of leadership that I've had is, is this kind of quote from John Maxwell. John Maxwell, if anybody's ever uh, been into leadership, and you, you probably heard the name John Maxwell, great author and speaker, who was a former pastor and saw such a, a void in our culture for leadership that he actually felt that as his call is to help educate people about leadership. And one of his maxims, one of his kind of um, first principles is is called the law of the lid. (laughs) I love that. And he says, everything rises and falls with leadership. Everything rises and falls with leadership. If you really think about that, that is some real deep um, philosophy. It doesn't sound like it's deep, but it's very, very deep. Because at some level or another, we all have a responsibility to be a leader. One way, shape, or form, we're going to have a responsibility. For those of us here who who have um, maybe been adults and you have children that that you may watch over at some point, they look at you as a leader. Um, If you're a parent, right, you're inherently a leader. You're leading children. Um, If you're a grandparent, you're leading multiple generations of children below you. Um, if maybe you're in the workplace, maybe you own a business. At some level, you may, you know, you're not, you know, just leading. You are leading an, an organization. Some of you are managers in your midst. Some of you, um, maybe, maybe um, student leaders um, in your midst. You, right? If you're in school and maybe you're going off to college, the, the, our culture looks at you as a leader. Isn't that interesting? And yet, everything rises and falls with leadership, right? This is why we obsess about politics and elections, right? Because we can see the importance of it. Sometimes I think we see the over-importance of it, (laughs) right? But yet, the influence is is unmistakable. And what this means is that a, a group is only as strong as its leadership. It means that no group can excel beyond its leadership. And it also means that when a group fails, it ultimately falls, on the shoulders, in large measure, for the leaders. Um, the author of Hebrews reminds us of this weight because of the call in chapter 13 of Hebrews that we see here. And In chapter 13 of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, we don't know who it was, by the way, which is just an, a weird, fun thing about the Bible. There's a lot of author, books that we don't know who the author is. I think that's cool. But at the end of the day, this is what the author called us to. He said, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Wow. That scares me as a leader. (laughs) Because all of a sudden i got to go, wow, I'm leading a culture that they're looking to me to to, to follow. They're looking at my example, the outcome of my life. They're looking at the fruit of my character. That's a big responsibility. Uh, And he continues. He says in verse uh, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Interesting. And now you start to see that there's a theme building here. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. That would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us For we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. And right here, what you're seeing here is the author of Hebrews knows that everything rises and falls with leadership. And this is why he wants to call our attention to our leadership and go, hey, regardless of what the suffering that you're encountering, which in the book of Hebrews was varied suffering, People um, were being dragged out of their homes and being robbed of their possessions because they weren't, um, or they were Christians and they weren't following Roman uh, law or Jewish custom. And so there is great suffering and great cost to the church. And what did the author of Hebrews say? I want you to look at your leaders. I want you to be pay attention to them. It's easy to waver, right? And even this letter is a form of leadership to them, isn't it? probably has some kind of apostolic authority, maybe from Paul, maybe from uh, Peter, who knows? It's tough to tell. But So the, the stakes are high when it comes to leadership. And so what we want to talk about this particular week is how pastors and deacons, who are the offices of leadership in the church and have been ever since the inception of the church, pastors and deacons are stewards of gospel culture. And that's it. There's a lot to unpack there. But what's, 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 to think about us as a church, we are, as a collective group of people, we have developed a culture. A culture is where you have a, a, a deep sense of identity together, a deep sense of values together, a deep sense of rhythms that you follow together. And what happens over time is that this culture takes on certain dynamics and certain characteristics. And what, the, what leadership in the church, what pastors, pastors slash elders as well as deacons are here to do is to help us to set the pace for the culture. Help us to make sure the culture is healthy. Make sure that the sheep are taken care of. Making sure that the sheep are safe. Making sure that Um, people are well served and not only that that as people look outside at the church that they have the best of experiences possible so that people can go wow we can just we can just get the aroma of of grace that's here man there's something different about these people how come this is a voluntary group of people no one's no one's coercing them right no one's forcing them there's no guns to their head no one's, no one's sitting there bribing them on one side and, and, and saying that you're going to get something out of this. That is, this is the kind of, of gospel culture that changes the world, and that has changed the world. And um, so sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we don't understand all the pieces that are at play. And so what we're going to do is just talk about um, these offices of elders and deacons and, and talk about how God has given us stewardship through these offices. Um, and, and, and one way of thinking about it is, is that there's two kinds of pillars to gospel culture in the church. The first is the great commandment and the other is the great commission. Um, and I think that if, if, if we were to understand these offices, we could see that pastors and elders are responsible for stewarding the great commission in our midst how we go about making disciples and being complete in Jesus. And that deacons, on the other hand, deacons have this stewardship of, of helping the, the church to grow in its commitment to the great commandment. And that What's the great commandment? Who knows what the great commandment is? Go ahead, say it. No, that's actually the great commission, is to preach the gospel. What's the great commandment? Who knows? That's right, love, right? Love God, love your neighbor. Jesus said, love as I have loved you, right? And so the expressions of love. And one way to think about it is that pastors and elders have a great commission focus. So their their commitment is to making sure that people understand the gospel, have a healthy spiritual walk in life. And as Jesus said, right, in the great great commission, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And so that is, that's the great task of pastoral leadership, is to help make sure that the church as well as the yet-to-be church is discipled in Christ and his gospel. And then deacons, deacons have a great commandment focus, and their focus um, is on making unity, really, of the church for the world. And so we're, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about how pastors and elders, what do they do? They pronounce the gospel they oversee word ministry, and their responsibility is to share the wealth that we have in our faith with others. And then deacons, in their great commandment focus, what they do is they picture the gospel in the way that they serve. They're living examples of what grace looks like. And what's grace, right? It's giving somebody something good when they deserve something bad. And that's what gospel culture is, is Embedded by, is grace. And so deacons show that. And so they're primarily focusing on deed ministry, right? And what does it mean to, to serve and make sure that our resources, right? We share our resources with each other, the wealth that we have um, to the saints. So, um, so first we're going to look at pastors and elders are stewards of the Great Commission. Pastors and elders are stewards of the Great Commission, and you'll notice that these words, pastor and elder, are used interchangeably throughout the New Testament in this office. And so elders, and most of the time when you think of elder, what do you think of? You think of somebody who is older. <laughs> Why is that, right? I, it's, it's tough to say, but the translation actually of that word is typically overseer. Right? Somebody who oversees something. And I think it comes from ancient culture. In ancient culture, typically the people who cared for the the tribe were the older people who typically were the the ones with either no hair, like me, or gray hair. Now, you don't have to have gray hair or no hair in order to be an elder. (laughs) Um, But that that word is used synonymously with the word pastor, which means shepherd. Which means like the sheep metaphor comes to play here. And so, um, so and at First Baptist, what we've done um, over the years is developed it so that the elders are essentially the ones who aren't staffed. They're not paid. And so their function is really more of the macro, the big picture to help oversee the vision of the church. Whereas pastors in your midst, like Mike and Rick, are actually paid staff members who are there in day-to-day ministry looking after and tending to the saints. So... Um, and their job is to be stewards of the Great Commission. And so uh, we get this um, as, as a gift to us. In Ephesians chapter 4, it's described. Ephesians chapter 4. Can we read this together? This is such an important verse for all, all of us to understand leadership and the gift that it is to us. Let's read together. And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ all these categories here of giftedness that's given to God's people in the church is designed to help make us mature, designed to help to unify us in Christ by helping us to see the potential of his love and goodness to change us. And not only that, to direct us with vision for what God has for us, and those, 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 uh, those titles you see here, right? You see prophets, right? Apostles, uh, evangelists, the ones who share the gospel, and the shepherds and teachers. And so think of it this way, that your pastor, among all these other kinds of categories of leaders and word teachers, are here to help us as God's gift. And that means that there's people who have the gifts or gift of shepherding, the gift of leadership. Um, and the Apostle Paul took this to heart with his own ministry. As a matter of fact, he looked at this as a stewardship given to him by God. And we see Paul representative of really all of the leaders, all of the, we'll say, shepherds and elders, because he was kind of the shepherd of shepherds. And he said in Colossians 1, right? Mike, uh, Pastor Mike, if you, wanna, if, you, if you actually took a knife, don't do this, You took a knife and you cut Pastor Mike someplace. He's going to bleed Colossians. He loves Colossians because it's so centered on Jesus. And so here in Colossians, we get to see Paul's being centered on Jesus. Um, And he said, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Next verse. Um, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of His mystery of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And as pastors and leaders, we need to hear this. Right, Not just the saints need to hear this, but we as leaders need to hear this because we start to realize that this is a struggle. This is a toil. right? The mantle of leadership is hard. That's why very few people want it. And some people need to be convinced to lead because they see just how hard it is. Because you have to take the commitments that you have of your own desires and your own passions and set them aside and go what would god have for us together and so it's it's a it's a hard thing for you, for anybody to say we're going to i'm going to shift my focus from me to we from i to us and that's what this ministry is about especially when we understand that it's change is typically happening through pain Most people don't grow when things are going well. Most people grow when it's painful. And um, I, I just recently got a dog. Okay, His name is Snickers. He's a little golden doodle puppy. Okay, And Snickers, as a puppy, goes through all sorts of phases. And uh, there's all sorts of things happening. He's, he's going to be five months old this week. And Snickers, uh, like any puppy has a problem. You know what his problem is? There's lots of them. But one of his big problems is he bites. He bites, right? That's exactly right. He's teething, right? And so what's happening as he's growing, there's, there was a show called this, right? There's growing pains. <laughs> as the teeth are growing in, and guess what? He wants to share that pain with you. You know how he wants to share that pain with us? He wants to bite, right? And he does that because... That's what he's programmed to do, is to bite things. And all he has in his life, he doesn't have, he's got paws, but he doesn't have hands. So he can't touch things and experience things the same way we do. So what does he do? He uses his mouth. Which means that when I go and in intentionally and try to lead my dog sometimes, he gets into a zone from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. where he wants to bite. And I have to work through that knowing that's not forever, and this is part of the cost of trying to lead my dog. And dogs have a lot of similarities to sheep, let me tell you. Let me tell you, they have a lot of similarities, right? Hooves instead of paws is what sheep have. And not only that, there's a big problem that me and Snickers, guess what? He's a dog, I'm a person, right? But as a pastor, guess what? I'm also sheep. I'm also weak. I also have hooves. <laughs> and I also have teeth. <laughs> and and that's and, and so part of my process and part of any leader's process is, is understanding that wow, they got a big stewardship and it comes through pain. It comes through toil. And you see that um, just, just in Paul's heartbeat. I toil and labor, right? But it's a labor unto glory, it's a labor for the right reasons. And I'll tell you, this is how you know a good leader, is they persevere when things are hard. They don't give up. They don't sit around and blame everyone else, right? And this is what Paul never did. He never sat around going, oh, man, if it was only for oh those stupid Corinthians. They're so dumb. Can you believe it? They're, they're eating meat wor- you know uh, 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 that's been offered to idols, and all they do is just sit there, and, and, and just they're taking communion without anybody caring. There's no... He didn't sit there and blame them for that and sit there and beat up on them. He toiled with them. He hung in there with them. He didn't give up on them. Same thing with those in in, in Galatia. Oh my gosh, these heretics, they missed the gospel, they're not getting it. So what did he do? He hung in there and he gave a word. Right. So there's toil that goes into this. Stewardship. And it's because it goes beyond us. We've been given this stewardship by God. And I'd say that, um, how do you know if you've been called to spiritual leadership? That's a great question. I had to ask myself that, those questions. Uh, and we get a little clue um, as we consider um, 1 Timothy chapter 3. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we start to realize that there's actually qualifications for, for leaders and elders in our midst. Um, and this is what we get in Paul's charge to another elder. His name was Timothy, who was a close ministry partner. And to Timothy he said, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one and wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert. He may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And right here, you get a lot of ingredients for what it takes to be pastor. How do I know if I'm called to this kind of leadership? And I think there's kind of a convergence of three things that happens. I think it's a convergence of desire, right? You got that in in verse one, anyone who desires to be an overseer, right? And then there's character, character, that you actually have, that you're worth following, that you're worth imitating, and a lot of those listings there are for character, aren't they? But also, you've got to have gifting. There's got to be gifting. And I think when you, when you look in the center of this and you see, this is where you're going to see spiritual leadership at. This happens both for elders and deacons. But we're going to focus here just on, on pastors. And I think part of uh, the gifting skill set of a pastor or an elder is number one, they've got the gift of pastor. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> How about that for novelty, right? Um, and I think also with that, the, the gift of teaching, right? And Paul, and Paul said they should be apt to teach, right? So have the gift of teaching. I think the gift of leadership, that's actually a spiritual gift. Did you know that? The gift of leadership. And then, in addition, I think the gift of exhorting. One of the biggest things you'll see, if you read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, they're called the pastoral letters, right? First uh, and 2 Timothy and Titus. Paul wrote those to pastors. And one of the biggest words he had to say is exhort. Exhort. Call people to things, right? That's what we're doing right now. Kind of breaking the fourth wall, right? Trying to practice this right here, right? And then I think evangelist calling people to Jesus and the gospel. Those giftings, I think, are really, really helpful along with the character. And of the character um, that we read here, I think there's kind of um, a way of thinking about this. I think um, as, as we go think back to 1 Timothy, actually if we go back to um, verse 3, or chapter 3, yeah, they're right there, um, I, I think you see that there's a level where the uh, elders... Pastors are called to be beyond character criticism. If there's a glaring issue with them, that somebody, everyone's seeing that they're not seeing or whatever, that's hard to imitate. That it's hard to imitate that, and it doesn't mean they're perfect because they're not. They'll never will be till Jesus returns, right? But it means that there, there's you can't sit there and go like, man, they're way off on this, that, or the other thing. Glaring issues is what Paul is trying to address, but beyond character criticism. And then to be a proven leader, right? managing your household well, is to say, what kind of stewardship have you had in your midst, and how are you doing with that? How's that gone? And I venture to say, if he's talking to a group of business leaders, he'd say, you have to be a good manager of your business. (laughs) If he's talking about um, any other thing, he's going to say, be a good proven leader wherever you are. In addition, I think he's saying they need to be experienced, an experienced believer. Why? In order to relate to the sheep, you have to have some mileage. You yourself are a sheep. And you're going to fall into some, some pride if you're not experienced and experience the, the, the humility of grace and pain in your life. And then lastly being, um, as you see in verse 7, right? having a reputation with outsiders, right? Um, being well thought of. So there's a sense where what the kind of relationship you have becomes a really connecting point to the community, a connecting point to others, that people want to be part of something and go, yeah, I like that guy. He's a good guy, trustworthy, he stays by his, uh, his word. Um, cool to be around, and it's, it, he brings this excitement that I don't quite understand. Those are, those are good words to hear about your pastor. Um, and these, these kind of characteristics, we could easily think, oh my gosh, wow, these are just incredibly high standards. But anybody who knows their Bible, anybody who knows their Bible will know that these are not unusual characteristics. All of God's people are called to these qualities. But what happens is that a leader is exemplary in them. They stand out in them. And that's kind of the point, because if you're going to be leading, you're going to want people to follow and be like this. And I love the way D.A. Carson said it. He says, those of us who want to be leaders in the church today then must begin by recognizing that there is no special elitist qualification this observation is entirely in line with the list of qualifications for leadership given elsewhere in the New Testament. For example, when Paul in 1 Timothy 3, 1-7 sets out the qualifications for an overseer or bishop in the Old English, the most remarkable feature of this list is that it is unremarkable. It contains nothing about intelligence, decisiveness, drive, wealth, power, Almost everything on the list is elsewhere in the New Testament required for all believers. So that we must recognize is that the demands of Christian leadership in the first instance do not set a Christian apart into exclusive and elitist categories where certain new rules and privileges are obtained. Rather, Christian leadership demands a focus of the kinds of characteristics and virtues that ought to be present in Christians everywhere. This is precisely what makes it possible for Christian leaders to serve as models as well as teachers in the church of God. I love that. What's remarkable is that these characteristics are not remarkable. In, in Paul, as I said, in, um, you, know, you wrote letters to other pastors like Timothy and Titus. He had instructions for them. And you get, we get to kind of eavesdrop on that conversation, which is awesome for us to see the health uh, and transparency the leadership of the church on display, right? Imagine if the CEO of any company started to send you the emails that they're sending off to all of their people under them. It'd be kind of weird, right? Especially if there's some private matters or things. But here we have a transparency, which is pretty awesome. And in 1 Timothy 4, there's this charge that's given to Timothy. And he says, let no one despise you for your youth, right? Elders don't have to be old. Timothy was probably around 40, right? probably right around my age. <laughs> uh, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy. And when the council of elders laid the hands on you, their hands on you, Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So there's this call to growth. There's this call to modeling. There's this call to being discerning and having assessment of the flock. And not only that, being able to look at your own theology in life and have accountability these are, these are the qualities of great, great leaders and of the stewards of the Great Commission and building disciples in our midst. And so that, that leads us to understanding the, the role of deacons in our church, the role of deacons in the church when it comes to being stewards of the great commandment in our midst. What's the great commandment again. What's the great commandment? Right? Love God and love each other, Right? "Love as I have loved you," said Jesus, right? And we need help with that. And what we get is a window into this. Um, in the book of Acts. in the book of Acts, what's been happening is the church is of the church, the first pastors of the church, are preaching the Word in Jerusalem. And as they're doing this, thousands of people are coming to Jesus thousands of people. Could you imagine what it would look like if next Sunday 4000 people showed up to First Baptist? 4000 people showed up, right? Well, I mean, we've got the we got the disciples and the apostles, right? Right? We got we got 12 apostles. We got 70 people that were helping out, right? But 4000 people just showed up. You're going to need some help, aren't you? You're going to need some help. Hey, ushers, you need some help for 4,000 people showing up? Where are they going to park? What are they going to eat if they want to eat something? Where are they going to sit? Do we have the room? No, we need help. We need servants to help us. We all need the the servants uh, that are in the church. And so we get something like this as the church grows in Acts chapter 6. And um, Let's Can we just read this together, um, this, these seven verses? Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Panamas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Did I lose you there with those names? Come on back, verse 6. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The office of deacon arose out of the needs of the church. And what's happening is that the church had decided a great idea to show the great commandment is to care for those who couldn't care for themselves. Back then, there was no governmental programs. There was no social security. So if you're a widow and you don't have children, you are out of luck. Because you have to fend for yourself. And back in that time, oh, how are you going to do that, especially if you're old and aged? So how are, you going to, how are you going to be cared for? And the church said, we're going to help widows and orphans. And there was, it's not like you're filling, filling some other uh, governmental thing. There was no governmental help for this. So the church said, we're going to fill in the gap. We're going to help out. We're going to serve. So you know what we'll do? Why don't we do a daily distribution of food? Let's do that. Now, sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? Yeah, right? Sounds great to have a daily distribution or a weekly distribution of food here at First Baptist, doesn't it? Right? Sound familiar? <laughs> Caring for the needy and the weak, and that's where the great commandment comes into play, right? But guess what? People had spoken different languages and come from different backgrounds. And the church is inclusive of all people groups. Right? There's no priority or superiority with one over the other. The Jews weren't better than the Greeks, or the Hellenists is what they're called as being Greek speakers, right? And the Hebrews were the Hebrew speakers. Right? So you had a language gap, you had a culture gap. So what are you gonna do when some people think that you're ignoring one group over the other? Hey Pastor! Hey Peter, hey, can you help us? we got to figure this out. And what's Peter going? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's happening here? What's happening here? Okay, I understand the situation. Oh, wow, that's pretty involved. All right, listen. This is a very important thing. And we need to assign godly people to take care of this, to have discernment, wisdom, and, um, and a servant's heart. So what they did is they said, we're going to designate people to do this. And literally, the word deacon... Diakones in the Greek means table servers. Table servers. Waiters, right? And we're gonna experience that a little bit later, aren't we? In a few minutes. We're gonna have deacons come, and they're gonna come serve us the, the elements here as just one part of table serving. But that's the origin of deacons. In Paul. Um, said that this is such an important role, or he was telling the church, it's such an important role, this needs to be an office that all churches have designated servants to help us steward our great commandment call. It's part of leading a culture of gospel grace. So Paul said in, in 1 Timothy 8, he followed up talking about leaders and said, deacons... Likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to too much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives must be um, dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So this is such serious business that that Paul said, okay, there needs to be qualifications. And you notice there's a lot of overlap with the qualifications for pastors and elders. And I happen to think here that this is talking about not just, uh, Pat, like if you go to, go back a slide, um, you notice verse uh, 11, it says, their wives must, become, must be dignified. I think that's just the word for women. Women. And I think this means that there, there's provision for women deacons. <laughs> that's my opinion now. Uh, not everyone agrees on that, but I think that's what that's saying there. Because the word for, for women and wife is the same word. And in the context, it kind of doesn't make sense to just think about wives because it never says anything about wives for pastors, right? So I think this is talking about women deacons. And th- so there's specific things that they're faithful to and then specific things that men be faithful to. And so that being said, character matters. Right? They need to be proven servants. That's why, as Donna DeGeneres will tell you, being the lead of the deacon board for so many years, she will tell you you've got to first test somebody when they want to become a deacon. Isn't that right, Donna? Right? <laughs> they first need to be tested. And so they go through a process in order to become deacons, but first they get small tasks, right? You become like a, a deacon in training, as they say, a dit. You get a little ditzy, uh, a little deacon in training, right? And so there's a, there's a testing that takes place. And so this, is, this, this has an incredible impact on the community, and a lot of times you can, you can gauge um, the scope of a church by how, how they're diaconate and how active they are, not just the, the church um, elders and leadership. And um, I really think that um, there's, a, there's a, a pattern of gospel culture that started with the early church in diaconal practices that changed the very way our entire world thinks about mercy ministry because that's what this is did you know that up until this time this was not on the radar of any kingdom in the world people weren't thinking how do we care for the weak in our midst if you're the emperor you're the ruler of an area that's not what you really care about you want to get taxes so you can get armies so you can defend your region and maintain your kingdom and your name and your buildings. Most of the time, you wanted to spend money on building projects, right? Because you wanted to bolster your kingdom. And what's fascinating here, what's fascinating is uh, Tim Keller notes in his book on deacons called Ministries of Mercy. By the way, just a, a great book, um, Generous Justice by Tim Keller. If you guys have ever heard of Tim Keller, great book on this um, I think it's a great for all deacons to read through a book like this, as it is um, for, for the whole church. But he says in, his, uh, in, in one of his works, he says, um, Julian became emperor of Rome in AD 361. He tried to revive paganism, but found to his disgust that the older religions were falling, I'm sorry, yeah, falling? Yeah, falling, sorry. Falling and failing, sometimes I can't read. Uh, falling uh, to the rising popularity Of the Christian faith. In a letter to a pagan priest, he mentions the characteristics that, to his mind, had made it so successful. He wrote in his letter It is disgraceful that while the impious Galileans, that's what they called the Christians, the impious Galileans, support both their own poor and ours as well, all men see that they lack aid from us. Interestingly, Julian elsewhere distinguishes the diaconal aid of Christians from that of the Jewish community, which confined its aid to its own members at that time. The ministry of mercy, Julian, so ruefully observed, was not a new development. In the century preceding, during the great plagues, the church provided financial aid and help to all members of the city in obedience to the command, Love your enemies. Many Christians gave their lives in caring for the diseased. This was such a contrast with the selfish conduct of many of the heathen that Christians want great respect for their faith. And what happened is that the culture from the church became the gold standard for modern Western culture and aid. Caring for the poor, and it comes directly from Jesus. That's how Jesus shapes a culture. He changes a culture that way, and he's changed it in us. So just to refresh, right? Deacons are stewards of the great commandment. Elders are stewards of the great commission. Now, our last point here, and this is where we always land, is that Jesus is our true pastor and deacon. And we can sit here all day and talk about people, and the pastors that we think of and know in our lives, but the ultimate pastor and the ultimate deacon is Jesus. He is the author and the center of gospel culture. And he's the one who gives us the very grace to do what we're doing. And um, and he, he as our king, has given us each a stewardship and mission in the kingdom. Matthew 25, we learn about that. Matthew 25. Jesus said, for, talking about the kingdom, he said, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, then he went away. Now the word talent there is a terrible translation for us in English. Because when we think of talent, we think of America's got talent in Howie Mandel. Okay? That's not what it means by talent. Talent was a large sum of money. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. Okay, this is a rich person that God is talking about here, meaning himself, right? It's a parable. And he's given some a great stewardship. That's what leadership is. It's a great, I mean, not great as far as it's better than other people's. It's just just expansive. It's a large deposit to manage. And then there's others that don't have such a large deposit, but he calls all of us his servants, all of us his stewards, because he's the king. And not only that, the offices of the church, both pastors and deacons, have their identity in Jesus. Peter told um, The church in his letter, 1 Peter 5, he said, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when who appears? What's his name? The chief shepherd appears. You will receive the unfading crown of glory. Jesus is the chief shepherd. We are under shepherds. And he's the pattern and the model, the character, and the commitments of elders. But also, he is the chief deacon also. And in Mark chapter 10, when he was talking to the disciples, the disciples had all sorts of delusions about what leadership was. And Jesus had to set them straight. And he told them, and I think we should read this. This is just beautiful. I love this together, right? Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all, or be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The redemptive forgiveness of Jesus and the grace that's being deposited to us is there to shape us the very way we're supposed to lead. And how do we lead? We lead on our knees, brothers and sisters, don't we? And you know what's great? You know this word serve? There's a couple of words in Greek you could use, doulos, which is a pretty common one. He used the word Deacon. Diacones. And you see now, both offices find their identity and shape in Jesus and his redemptive gracious work for us. And that's our big idea. Pastors and deacons are stewards of gospel culture. And really, if you think about it, we're all stewards together. Under King Jesus, pastors and elders just happen to model and lead the charge towards that. So, I'll leave you with um, the, the words that we began begun with. In Hebrews chapter 13, right, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. Obey your elders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. And we're all here, we're all here because of some kind of leadership. The only reason I'm a pastor is because I had other pastors that shepherded me and guided me and led me to where I am. And, and if the church is ever going to succeed, whatever that means, <laughs> if the church is ever gonna, going to be itself, It's going to be when leaders steward this gospel culture under Christ to the best of their abilities. And part of that is you have a part to play in that. You have a part to play in that. And maybe there's some elders in our midst. Maybe there's some future elders in our midst, future deacons in our midst. And maybe you got a nose for this, and maybe you can help to identify others. You have a part to play in this. And, uh, and as we all share, it's not just um, us with the stewardship, we just lead it, but we all steward this gospel culture together. So now, you can turn your clocks back on. And uh, I'll pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have communion together. Father, thank you for this time. And thank you for uh, your graciousness to us. Uh, to have leaders, to have elders is, is, and, and, and deacons um, are, the, are the, really the pillars of the church. And so we pray, Father, that you would strengthen our leaders and strengthen the culture that's here through the leaders. Uh, we pray that you would help them in the task that's not easy of sacri- self-sacrifice, modeling, enduring, and caring for the flock. And so we pray also that you would help us to do our part. Uh, to make it a joy to be a part of the church and uh, to think um, with each other, to pray with each other, to consider and respect each other and, um, and see how um, the, the shape of grace uh, changes this world uh, through Christ. And we pray all these things through him who loved us and gave his life for him and all God's people said, amen. amen.